Unfound is brought to you by the generous listeners at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube, along with our gracious advertisers. On this episode, I talk about a missing dog walker in the UK, I discuss a missing Lyft driver right here in Florida, I have a lot to say about a Boston Globe disappearance article, and I cover a whole lot of other stuff, including... That balloon. I'm at Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for February 6th, everyone it is the unfound live show for february 6th 2023 it's now 9 p.m eastern i try to start these on time and uh i'm glad i could get that done tonight i was doing some things right up until the time that i hit the uh, go live button I don't know how busy of a day it's been. Uh, did quite a bit of unfound work today. Got an interview done. Uh, not for this Friday's episode, but next Friday's episode. So February 17th. So I'm all excited about that. Went very well. We did audio and video. You might have noticed the last couple uh, interviews that I've done were just audio. But this Friday and next Friday, we're done through Zoom. So you will be seeing uh, those guests if you choose to do so by watching right here and watching slash listening right here on YouTube. And if maybe you've noticed that when we choose not to use Zoom for whatever reason, it's really up to the guest. Um, I instead put pictures and other things uh, together so we can create the video for the YouTube broadcast, but I'm still sticking to the idea that at some point in the near future, I'm telling you right now, these episodes will not be available on YouTube. I know it's a very radical, radical, radical idea, but that's one of the transformations that this uh, channel is going to go through in 2023, just so you know, but I'll let you know when that's going to happen. Before I get started, I want uh, to remind everybody, please give this live show a thumbs up. I say it, I try to remember to say it every time. And if I don't remember it, somebody surely in the chat reminds me, but uh, we'd like to keep up uh, with the algorithms and everything. And I should say that uh, so far for 2023, the YouTube channel has been doing uh, very, very well as far as new subscribers. We've like doubled the rate of new subscribers over last year so far in like this first year and so many days of 2023. Why is that? Uh, I think it's maybe a couple things together. One of them is probably how I'm labeling 
the, uh, for example, this live show, I'm not just putting unfound live show for February 6th. I'm actually putting in the title, some of the topics that are going to be covered like I did for tonight's show. And then also I, I think what has made a big difference is that, um, I am going to have to, I've opened up the comments on, I think just about all of the, uh, videos, you know, I, I was hesitant to do that for a long time for many different reasons, but I made the promise that if everybody behaves with the comment sections that I do end up opening up, I ended up opening as long as that goes well, then we'll open up some more. And so it went well. And so now you will see that, uh, the comment sections are open. Uh, if any aren't open, please let me know. Uh, I'm, I'm going forward under the belief that they're all open, but I will tell you that, was it last week or the week before that somebody said, well, I was watching a video. It was on Travis Murrow, and the comments weren't open. And after that live show, I did check it out, and this person was right. That was one that I missed. So the comments are now allowed on that video. But if you do run into any uh, videos on this channel where the comments are not open, just message me, email me, track me down somehow, and I will open it up. So once again, please give this video a thumbs up as you are watching tonight. Subscribe to this channel. Like this. Uh, share this uh, video with others you think might uh, like it. And if you want to go one step further, hit the join button. And for the low, 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 low price of $3 a month, you can um, get some things that other people do not get. Some things early some new interesting things. So check that out by hitting the join button. However, I will tell you um, on a lot of phones, you're not going to see the join button. You will have to go to an actual laptop top computer, something like that to see the join button. So there you go. So let's see uh, who is in here and I will get started with the agenda tonight. I got a lot to cover. We'll see if I get to all of it. Hello, nephew Charles. What's going on? Coming to us from Colorado. Hello, Karen. Everything 2023. I love it you, that you've changed it to 2023. Everything. That is awesome. Uh, everything is saying I'm here, but cleaning and sorting food out. He, he, he. What kind of food? Everything. Mark and Indy. Hello. Everybody's doing well. Hello, Mark. What's going on, man? Kathy, Paula, Twinkle. Look at you. Tina. Hello, Suzanne. And uh, Tina says, crap, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that info. What info are you talking about, Tina? Tina Marie, what info are you talking about? And yay comments, Tina says. And Jill, what's up with you? Good to see you. I don't know if uh, moderator Cherie will be here this evening or tonight. Uh, she had texted me saying that uh, she's headed somewhere. was not sure she was going to get to her destination to moderate. Um, so we're going to have to wing it. And if, if anything of a troll nature or something pops up, I will have to take care of it myself. So, uh, I'm like last week, I'm going to try to mix the unfound stuff, the personal stuff and the national slash international news all together. Instead of doing it layer by layer, I'm going to try to mix it all together, but I will start with, 
the personal part that uh, I am playing some very, very ugly disc golf right now. It's, I, it's, I think it's a couple things put together. I, I was due to play in a two-day tournament over in Lakeland this weekend, but the way I played on Saturday, I said, there's no way I'm driving back over here and playing on Sunday. So, and I told the person who was there, it wasn't the tournament director, but somebody who was manning the desk there at the course after the round was over, I just went over to this person and said, I will not be back tomorrow, just so you know. So if you, um, if you, uh, you know, need to put together the groups for tomorrow, just know that I won't be here. And, and anybody who who is planning on not showing up the next day should do that. Because things can get really, really messed up if you don't show up for the next day. And there may be a card of only one person or two people. And legally, for the rules of the PDGA, to for a round to count, it has to have three people in a group. So when you don't tell the tournament director they're not showing up the next day, that can really mess things up. And I can remember some years ago, Man, must have been five years ago, maybe, that that uh, there was a problem that got created at uh, a tournament I played over there, Cliff Stevens, over here, right here in Clearwater, where some people didn't show up. And so you had like a, a grouping of two. And it uh, really caused a pain in the butt uh, to get everything organized because I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it became one very quickly, especially since Cliff is so spread out and trying to get everything where are these, you know, where are these uh, players going to play? So I decided to not go back on Sunday because of the way I played on Saturday. Uh, I had some really great shots on Saturday, but man, I had some bad ones too. I started out with a triple bogey and we still, everybody, it was tea time. So uh, everybody started on basket number one. I took a six. Uh, I took a triple bogey on the first basket. I guess the good news is the rest of the round, uh, I played the rest of the course four over. But on that one basket, I was three over. Oh, it was so ugly. Oh, my gosh. It's it's. I think it's a combination of I, I've really not been concentrating on my disc golf playing for a few months now. Uh, unfound has really been at the forefront of, uh, of course it's always at the forefront, but, um, you know, things have to be kept in perspective as to what is important and what is secondary and third and fourth and fifth and 10th. <clears throat> and so really have not pr been practicing, although I did go out and throw today, not been practicing as much. And then because of that, I've entered in some tournaments because I feel like I have an obligation to do so. But then also my expectations aren't really that high when I get to the tournament. So it's, uh, there's not uh, a real belief that I can win anyway, given how I've been pr a lack of practice and everything. So I'm like, well, we're going to go through the motions for the next couple hours and we'll see what happens. But just like at USF the weekend before, um, a lot of great shots, probably some some of the best shots that I've thrown. But then, man, some other ones are just, uh, you know, and it didn't help the last two weekends. I'm playing courses. I hadn't played USF maybe in nine years. 
And then the course that I played on Saturday, I hadn't played it in two years. And the other last time I played it, I hadn't played very well either, although I did play it better this time. So because it's way over there in Lakeland, it's like an hour and a half away. And to get there, you have to go through Tampa. So it's not even convenient you to get over there and practice and play the course a few times. So there's that. So just it really hasn't been a priority, and it's a diminishing skill. If you do not practice it, it's not like riding a bike. You will get worse, and that's what's going on right now. And, um, you know, uh, is my ego having a tough time with it? A little bit. But I'm trying to just take a very long-term view of all of this and not be so uh, results-oriented right at this second. I just have to be... I just have to realize that you're getting out of it what you're putting into it right now, Ed. You're not putting a lot into it, so you're not getting a lot out of it. Uh, 2022 was a great year. Played well. Rating went up. Didn't do well at Worlds. But other than that, it was an okay year uh, because I really put some focus on it. And I think I proved when I can focus on it, I play well. I'm competitive. Um. So we'll just have to get back to that at some point. My guess it will be before uh, this year is over uh, that we'll start hitting it hard again, but it's just not a concern right now. So there you go. Um, uh, Tina says, I came in a little late, something about not having something on YouTube. I'm not sure. I was. I think I was just um, talking about, Tina, that uh, going back, for a while, going back to the beginning of this YouTube channel, I've always posted the episodes on here. And what I was saying is that I, I foresee a time, not like this week or next week or in February or in March, but we might get to the point where the episodes are not on here anymore, that they will just be audio and there's going to be like a, a changing of this channel to something a little more news oriented than um, episode focused. Because if you want to listen to it, you got Spotify and iTunes and everywhere else. So that's what I was um, talking about, Tina. Ashley, hello, everyone. How's everyone tonight? How is everybody tonight? Ashley, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks for uh, tuning in on this uh, Monday night or Monday evening or wherever you may be, Ashley. Um, it was a beautiful day here, and in fact, you know, as I've stated many times, the Gulf of Mexico is right back there, and I actually have the um, the, the sliding door open tonight with just, just the screen, and as I sit here, I know you can't hear it, but I can actually hear the waves crashing down there on the beach, not to rub it in, but um, it was a beautiful day. It's These are the kinds of days where... Floridians like to open up the windows and let the breeze flow. And um, it's great sleeping at night with the, with the windows open as well. So there you go. Uh, speaking of windows open, though, uh, my allergies have been kicking my butt. Today wasn't so bad, but um, your boyfriend passed away this morning. And you, I'm sorry to hear that, Ashley. And you're tuning into this live show tonight. I see. Um, okay, Ashley, I'm sorry to hear that. But you're po- tuning in tonight after your boyfriend passed away this morning. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Mark, I hate that the episodes may eventually go away from YouTube, but it is what it is. Uh, it's just, 
I think uh, the thing is, Mark, is there may be some uh, what we might call cannibalization going on here. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think that by putting the episodes on YouTube that it's bringing more listeners to the podcast. And this is how I have to start uh, thinking about such things. So what? So if that is the situation, then how can this YouTube be a channel be used? Because we have over 15,000 subscribers. In fact, the rate that we've been gaining subscribers in um, 2023 so far is double uh, what it was in 2022. So uh, it's just one of those things you have to start looking at because it's, as you might maybe realize or not realize, Mark, there aren't too many podcasts that are podcasts, and then then it's turned into a, a video show, too. It's very rare. So, um, you know, for example, Marissa over at The Vanish, you know, doesn't do that. Not not criticizing her. She just doesn't do it. So, um, whereas it's no different than with, like, John Lorden. He has a YouTube channel. Although I know he's part of a podcast, but all the brain scratch and searchlight and all those things do, he does, he doesn't turn them into just a, an audio strictly, you know, audio only podcast. So there are reasons that those people do those things that way. So I have to look at closely at, at all of that. So it's just a thought process. Uh, getting back to my allergies, they've been really bad. Um, Really, really started like a few days, um, like maybe like 12 days ago, which is about right. Beginning of end of January, beginning of February, they start kicking in. Last Sunday when I was over at the football party where I saw my brother Brian, his wife, everybody else, allergies were kicking in. Good thing I brought my inhaler, and it's just been kind of miserable since. Um, I mean, I'm functioning and I'm getting a lot of work done. But uh, I'm taking Allegra, the uh, 24-hour tablets, uh, right before I go to bed at night. I'm hitting my inhaler probably like three times a day. I'm hitting the inhaler before I go uh, to bed at night, so I make sure I, I sleep well, and I've been sleeping great. But, but wow, the coughing, like the coughing I was doing during a phone call recently was... Phew, it's it's not good. There's just something flying around in the Florida air around this time of year that my body really, really, really hates. But this is probably today has been the best day in maybe two weeks. And maybe you can even tell that I'm not doing any coughing or anything. And I, um, you know, I, I, I haven't uh, been on my inhaler for several hours now. And I was even outside today uh, throwing, uh, the discs in a little bit. And so, um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's passing. We'll just have to see. It depends on the day and everything, but it is scary. It, it can really be scary when I start coughing and you can feel, you just, just feel everything like tightening up and that albuterol that I have is just like a miracle drug. I'm going to keep saying it. Whoever, um, Whoever invented it, God bless you if you believe in that type of thing. Because um, it's just, I mean, you hit it, and then within moments, you can breathe again. It's just amazing. 
Uh, TD same. I don't really listen on pod platforms, but I'm probably an outlier. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but it's just allergies. Uh, I really don't get sick. I still don't think that I was just talking to somebody today. Uh, in fact, the guest for next Friday's episode, uh, she had told me that, um, you know, she's, I think she had COVID three times and, my brother Brian just got COVID recently. <coughs> There's a cough. And my brother Brian just uh, got COVID for the first time, I think, recently. Whereas I don't know if I've had it or not. If, you know, I just don't get sick. I have allergies, but I don't get the flu. I don't get sore throats anymore. Um, I get headaches once in a while, but I've discovered more and more it's because of my sinuses or because I'm reading and I'm really stressing and so I, I get really tight in the shoulders and the neck. And I think that's what brings on the headaches. It's not any sickness or anything like that. I just don't get sick except for my, of course, my food issues, what I've talked about, but that's not being sick. That's just, uh, that's just genetics or something. So there you go. All right. I'll come back to some other personal stuff later. Let's go on to some unfound items. Um, the Brandon Roberts poll, uh, not as you probably realized in listening to the episode, this is not one of those disappearances where we have a, we have a ton and ton and ton of information. <clears throat> Instead, never even got the, those are all these coughs right now, allergies. But like I said, I'm like a thousand percent better than a few days ago. But um, of course, the one thing that that uh, is the big deal with Brandon's disappearance is this text. And so I decided to make that the uh, topic of the poll that was posted in the discussion group. It also came up in the Think Tank. If you'd like to get involved in the Think Tank, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. I'm also starting to mention that at the end of every episode, if you maybe noticed that. But the discussion group decided that the texter does not know what happened to Brandon. That was pretty much the, the, the decision that we made in the Think Tank as well last night that the texter, although it does kind of sound like the texter, whoever had Brandon's um, phone probably was lying given the story that was told. I mean, how long was this person going to really wait for a person for the, a woman to go get gas, go see her father uh, and then come back? I mean, what, you know, what's going on there? Um, but that didn't sound believable, but there was nothing in that text that really pointed to this person knowing any, anything about Brandon either. And given the uh, history of Brandon losing phones, it was common occurrence. So I also, in the blog that I write at patreon.com, also came to the conclusion that Although the texter probably is not telling uh, a real story, I was not inclined to believe that the texter knew what happened to Brandon either. That's really weird. It, it's really, uh, as I wrote in the blog, in situations like this, you expect one of two outcomes. Either a family's con- you know, trying to text or call the phone and there's never any response, or if there is a response... That, and if it's not, of course, the missing person, it's from somebody who tells a believable story. 
Well, this person texted back and told a story that kind of stretches, I think, all of our imaginations. Still, it's it's weird how that can be a lie, but maybe this person didn't have anything to do with the disappearance either. It's it's you know kind of um, rare, but it does seem to me that a large majority of the audience thinks that, even though you wouldn't necessarily expect it. <clears throat> so, so, and then the other thing about uh, Brandon's disappearance, and maybe this is the first one we've had in a while. That I think it's not crazy to believe that Brandon is still alive out there. You know, I don't know how many disappearances we've covered on Unfound where we can really say that. But I think it just kind of gives you that feeling being that he'd gone missing before for a while. And who knows where he could be. The tough part is that his family still hasn't given any DNA and everything. So there is the possibility that his remains have been found, but scientifically they just haven't been able to identify it as Brandon yet. There is that possibility. I know Leah and I think other family members are going to get that done and and maybe then we'll you know have some more information there. So once again, uh, the discussion group, the think tank, and myself all agreed that the texter most likely does not know what happened to Brandon, even though the texter is probably lying. Uh, Mark says, I have used three different inhalers plus supplemental oxygen. Wow. I used the albuterol before the other two inhalers. It opens the air passages up, causing the other two inhalers to be more effective. I see. Wow, Mark, you really sound like you got some serious things going on there. Is uh, is that allergy related to, or is that something else? Kathy says, Tina Marie and TD, I also watch, listen to all unfound programs on YouTube. Well, well, dang, Kathy, you're going to have to get one of the podcast apps eventually, I guess. And then, hello, Christy, good to see you tonight. And I know, Christy, you are also a Patreon member. I thank you for the support. I want to remind everybody, I see how many people are in here, and I see how many people have given a thumbs up. So get right on that for all of you who have not done that yet, please. On your phone, on your tablet, on your laptop, where whatever you are using to watch this, please uh, like this video. Moving on. Um, going to be doing something uh, for the first time regarding Unfound, and that is uh, I am getting business cards. And I don't, I don't know if when I started Unfound that – I don't know if it's really do, – do, you know, do podcasters need business cards? I, I don't know. But um, the, uh, the person – uh, Kim, who is now the new person in charge of the merchandise store, which hasn't opened yet because we're waiting for some paperwork to go through, but we had talked about it and, um, thought it was time. And so she's kind of taken on that responsibility going back and forth with the, what's the place called Vista card, I think. <clears throat> and so, uh, we finally got to a point where, uh, the design was to my liking. 
Uh, I will tell you in, in true podcaster fashion, though, it does not have my phone number on it. Because you never know who you're going to uh, – I can anticipate uh, having these cards and maybe handing them out to listeners and things. And I'm not sure that uh, I want my phone number out there as much as, as that. But the email address will be on there and the website and all of those things. But um, kept the phone number off just to kind of um, keep the attention getting to a minimum. But I, I haven't seen any person. She's been uh, going back and forth with the designer. And then she would uh, have pictures that she would send me. And we finally got uh, to a place uh, that, that they're really nice. Uh, they're red with mainly black lettering although there is some white lettering in it we are adding on the to the logo at least for the business cards uh they do say so unfound missing persons podcast under it and that's going to be with the merchandise too by the way that although we'll continue to just use unfound like here on youtube and all the platforms spotify etc but when it comes to uh, the merchandise that will be coming out soon, that it's going to have a Missing Persons podcast added to it. So maybe if you're wearing something, they'll be like, well, what is that? And so they won't have to ask. And so that's what we're doing with the business cards uh, as well. And that was really uh, Kim's idea. And um, I thought that that was uh, a pretty good idea. And Lou is reminding everybody to hit that like button. TD, yeah, not just unfound that I watch or listen to on YouTube. Some don't even put their face on the screen, just audio. Yeah. Right, TD. So those are business cards. Um, how am I going to use them? We'll just have to see. Uh, I've thought about it before. Like I said, I don't know if when I started unfound, I could have imagined... Of course, I didn't know. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't know if we were going to make it into the the sixth year, or technically the seventh year, of uh, unfound or not, or I think it's six year. How do you, you figure that? Um, so business cards were really not a concern at the beginning, and I don't know how big of a concern they are now. But being that it came up in the discussion with Kim, I was like, yeah, I guess probably we should do that. So um, those are getting made, and uh, we'll see how I use them. Moving on, uh, one more like unfound item before I get into some international news. I got a lot of international news, some long articles that I really want to cover. I want to make sure I get to them. But uh, continuing to work on this podcast class, and it's going to be on teachable.com. And it's going to be for anybody who is seriously, seriously, seriously uh, considering starting a podcast. I suppose the casual podcaster might be, you know, find this helpful. But what I'm putting together is something a little more hardcore than that. And so I finally, I think, got it as far as finally seeing how it's going to all come together. And so there'll be an introduction and all these different sections 
uh, on podcasting, going right for why are you getting in podcast the whole way up down to monetizing a podcast and marketing and all those things and everything in between. So you can imagine uh, there's a lot to cover. And what I'm going to be doing in each section is explaining. So there'll be a lot of voiceovers with just pictures or video on the screen of whatever I'm talking about. But then at the end of each section, I'm going to have like little anecdotal stories from my experience as a podcaster having to do with that particular section. Um, Mainly things that I messed up on. Mistakes that I made, decisions I made that weren't right, (coughs) other things that I think people can learn so they don't make the same mistakes that I did. And a lot of the things are kind of funny. And some of the things I've even talked about on this live show, many of them I haven't. But in that, though, you will actually see me on the screen and I'll be talking to the camera regarding that. But I think for most of everything else, it's going to be pretty much voiceover um, and with pictures and, and video of whatever I'm talking about. For example, although I don't, I'm not going to go deep, deep, deep into editing, for example, like using GarageBand, which is what I used to put the, the, uh, the MP3 file together, you know, it's better off just um, taking some sort of GarageBand class and there are YouTube videos on how to use GarageBand. I've never watched one tutorial on GarageBand. I learned it from scratch uh, way back, um, way back in the day. And uh, back when it was, I don't even know what the version of GarageBand was. It had been one of the first versions. Because I had my first Mac Mini in about 2006. And it had GarageBand on it. So that's 17 years ago. So uh, I've known about GarageBand. I've been fiddling around with GarageBand for a long time now. And uh, so when I started Unfound, I was already pretty well versed in it. Of course, people use GarageBand, the program, for a lot of different things, mainly for making music. You know, bands use it. A lot of albums and songs that you hear on Spotify and elsewhere were probably put together in GarageBand. Well, that's the program I use. Uh, to put the podcast together. And so I'm not going to do a whole tutorial on GarageBand, but I will go through some of the generalities. So may like in that section, there'll probably be pictures of the screen of GarageBand and maybe showing me doing some things on there with voiceover, but I'm putting it together. It's not going to be as is usually with most things that I do. It's going to be pretty long. So I'm continuing to work like that. Haven't started any of the recording yet or anything, but it's a very big project and it, I will charge for it, but uh, I'm going to make it so that it's like a one-stop shop place. Once you watch this, you really don't have to do much in regards to learn about podcasting anywhere else. Like I said, unless you really, really get deep, deep, deep into the editing and, and things like that, which, once again, you're best off just going to a tutorial on GarageBand itself. So, whereas mine is, 
you know, an overview of podcasting and, you know, the editing part of, you know, using GarageBand is just one small part, of course, of everything that I, you know, do for a podcast. So I'm working on that. Hopefully I'm going to have it done within the next month. So I'm, I'm hoping like by the middle of March, something like that, that it will be done. I'll be doing some advertising for it. I'll probably be by buying some Facebook ads, things like that. And um, um, just so everybody knows that it's out there, maybe off some giveaways and things like that. But I, I just think it's a good idea. And in addition to everything else, I went out there and checked out some how to podcast free stuff like on YouTube. And there is already one teachable class on on um, or class on Teachable regarding how to start podcasting. And in my opinion, they all stink. They're not very in-depth, really superficial. You, there's no way you can learn about podcasting by just, you know, what it's all going to take and everything in like a 15-minute video. Not possible. Just not possible. So I'm going to craft, craft a course that I probably would have liked to have checked out uh, before I started Unfound, just to be honest. And that's in it. The, the Unfound's the same thing. I created a missing persons podcast it, with the idea of what would I listen to if I were one of you? What kind of podcast would I listen to regarding missing persons? That's what Unfound is. So when it comes to me creating a podcasting course on how to podcast in anything, true crime, sports, whatever, this is the kind of course that I probably would have needed and wanted and listened to and bought back in like 2016. So that's what I'm going to do. What's everybody saying here? Uh, fishing in the dark. What's go, going on? Hey, all finally catching a live. Great job, Ed, on your show. Thank you. Where you been fishing? Is Monday uh, night not a good uh, night for you or something? That could be. I know that um, you know some of the Wednesday people we had for so long changed to Monday and we lost some people, but dare I say it, we gained some people as well. So maybe Monday's not good for you. Teen, I don't know why the podcast is so hard to find. I've done so many searches on YouTube and I've never seen it come across it under something else I was listening to. I don't know why, uh, Tina. It's a uniquely named podcast. Um, you know, this happens. Um, you know, people say, well, I've been listening to true crime podcasts for so long and I don't know what to tell you. All I know is like when I type in unfound into my Spotify app, it's the only thing that comes up. When you type unfound into the iTunes um, player, maybe a couple things come up, but it's there. So, and same way here on YouTube, I realize there is some other channel. I don't know if it's kind of like ASMR music or something like that. That's also called unfound, but it's going to come up. So I'm not sure what to tell you, Tina. Uh, this was before I found this channel and subscribed. Well, thanks, Tina. Okay, well, you were really shaking things up. Well, I don't want to do too much shaking, Twinkle. I am 52 years old. Hello, M. What's going on, MT? Great idea. Thank you, MT Fishing. I forget it comes on Monday nights. Come on, fishing. Might uh, Maybe put a little bit of a – maybe put an alarm on your phone. For Monday nights at like 8.55 p.m. Eastern time, maybe you need to do that and just hit that thing where it 
It just is always on every Monday. It'll always just ring right at that time. Maybe that would uh, help you out because I like seeing you here. Thank you. All right, let's move on to some national, well, technically international news. Hello, Sam, girl. What's going on? Uh, Hello to you. I'm waving back at you, Sam. Hello. I want to talk about this British dog walker. Uh, This was a story that I had posted in the discussion group a few days ago, and I'd gotten some response to it. And I think other people, uh, it's caught a lot of people's attention. And on top of everything else, I don't know if on this live show, we have listeners, of course, in Australia, in the UK, in, in mainland Europe, Hong Kong. We've had people tune in from South Africa, New Zealand, Hong Kong, you know, Ireland, which technically is not in the, which is not in the United Kingdom. Um, you know, all over the place. So I I probably should do a little more international news. So here we go. I'm going to read this. Missing dog walker Nicola Boley's final text before she vanished into thin air has been revealed. The 45-year-old was last seen walking her dog by the river in St. Michael's on Wire, Lancashire. I know as an American, I just uh, butchered that, but I'm just a stupid American. Uh, on Friday, the 27th of January, so we're already looking at a disappearance that is a week and a half old. She was still logged on into a Microsoft Teams call, which had ended at 9.30 a.m. when her phone was recovered. I don't know if that means, you know, once again, they're using, um, it's English, but sometimes they use words that we know, would not use maybe in, in the United States to explain things. Just a half hour earlier, the mother of two had texted a friend to book a play date. She sent the message at 8.57 a.m. shortly before logging into the team's call. Locals at a village meeting were told. Ms. Bully had just dropped her two daughters, age six and nine, at school on Friday morning. The last known sighting of Ms. Bully was at 9.10 a.m. Some 25 minutes later, her phone, so her phone was recovered, and the dog's harness were found on a riverside bench. Her Springer Spaniel, Spaniel Willow appeared distressed. So the dog wasn't just that the dog's harness was there. The dog was there too, maybe just sticking around. Uh, or was it tied to something? It doesn't say. Her Strava, S-T-R-A-V-A account, shows that the route where she was last seen was one she frequently used as she often shared photos of her riverside runs with Willow. On average, it would take her 30 minutes to complete a regular route and return to her car. She had parked in the same spot about 1,000 times over throughout the years, her family has her, ha, have said. has said. In November, Ms. Bully had described her morning dog walk as a bit spooky amidst winter weather in a Facebook post. A very foggy, cold walk this morning, not a day to forget your gloves. Bit spooky, too, she shared. Set me up for the day, though, and Willow had the best time. In the quiet Lancashire village she, where she went missing, local women have said they are fearful of going out. 67-year-old witness Christine Bowman told the Daily Mirror. It has made local women fearful. If they have husbands or partners, they have been taking the dogs out instead. And uh, meanwhile, Lancashire police have urged the public not to spread misinformation. Speculators spread false rumors about the case and miss a plethora of unanswered questions about the case. Following her mysterious disappearance, Ms. Bully's family have pleaded for information. Something has got to have been missed. Somebody must know something, her sister Louise Cunningham told Sky News. 
People don't just vanish into thin air. Nicola's father, Ernie Bully, what a great name, said that Nicola's young daughters believe it is only a matter of time before their mother returns home. There are two young children. They're waiting for their mommy to come back, and we want her back, obviously, also. But if Nicola is out uh, there, if she's watching this, then all we'd like to say is come home, contact the, contact the police, contact ourselves, and we just want you back, Mr. Bully said. <coughs> police divers have searched the river wire below where Ms. Bully's items were found on the bench to no avail. Lancashire police said they do not believe any crime has been committed and continue to treat the incident as a missing person's inquiry. Uh, and fishing says, yep. Uh, so my idea of the alarm is a good idea. Fishing, okay. And then hit the like and subscribe button. Yes, please do. Thank you, M, for reminding everybody. Okay, so what are we supposed to think about this? Of course, this would... Um, um, of course I do the unfound now series. In fact, the newest one just came out today. I was going to talk about that. I'll talk about that maybe a little later if I have time, but it came out today, uh, to the public. It's been available to members on this channel for a week now, but, um, new unfound now is out, but this is the type of disappearance that would be eligible. And of course, I'm hoping that this young woman is found, uh, alive tomorrow. And so uh, she would not be then a candidate for an unfound now, but this might be a disappearance that if it's still unsolved by the end of February, end of this month, I may consider it uh, doing a series, doing a, an episode, a long episode with the map and everything else. But here are just some things that I gather from reading this story. Um Taking the same route every day is a bad idea. Um, this is a perfect way, and, and I, I realize uh, that we're not supposed to think like that. We, we as free people don't want other people who aren't, you know, who are, are dangerous uh, or violent or anything. We don't want them to determine the choices that we make on a daily basis. However, I can also tell you that that should be a consideration when you are making decisions on a daily basis. So when I read this article and I, you know, she's, it seems like she's on this path every day at the same time. She parks her car at the same place. It seems every day or when she goes there, it's, it seems like it's fairly repetitious what she's doing. <coughs> this is a perfect way for some rapist, some attacker, some abductor, sex trafficker, whatever you, whatever it could be, to establish, okay, that this woman is here all the time, and so I know where she's going to be. The surest way to become a missing person's victim is to be predictable on where you're going to be every day. Surely. So this is the first thing that, that that catches my eye. Now, as far as the dog, and I, I don't know what an attacker, an abductor would do. Uh, take the dog, leave the dog, throw the dog in the river, kill the dog. I guess it would depend on the circumstances. This particular circumstance, the dog was alive, but it seemed like the dog stayed 
right in that area. It doesn't seem to me like um, they found the phone and the harness, which we might in the United States call a, a, maybe a collar and a leash maybe. Um, or dogs, you know, have harnesses. It seems more and more common instead of just having a, a leash or, uh, you know, a collar around the neck. Maybe that's hard on the dog. They have these harnesses that kind of go on their shoulders, their front around their front legs, maybe something like that. But the dogs stay right in the area, did not run off. But according to the people that saw the dog, it looked distressed. So what does that mean? Was it shaking? Was it whimpering? Was it acting afraid of the people that were trying to get it? I don't know what that could mean a lot of different things. Of course, the next question is, she's obviously a single woman. She has daughters. And so I would start asking, well, where is the father of these children? Maybe they have two different fathers. I really don't know. But in something like this, I start thinking, okay, here's a a single parent, a single mother with children. She drops them off at school. She obviously has this pattern in her life where she does this, does this, does this, does this every, every day at the same time, same locations. And I start wondering, well, where is the father? Could he have something to do with this? Uh, You know why I go right to that, because as we've learned on Unfound, how many disappearances have we covered where we believe, circumstantially anyway, that the boyfriend, the husband caused a woman's disappearance often, 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 often. So this is something that comes to mind. Did this guy know? Were they having a beef? Were they having custody issues? Um, did something get changed? Did his child support go up if that even existed? And was he mad about that and knew that she would be there? That's where she went and he did he confront her. So I would be wondering what his alibi is for the time that she would have been on her run, on her walk by this river. That's also something that occurs to me reading this article. Now, the next thing is we can't, of course, ignore that she disappeared right by a river. I will be honest that I did not go onto Google Maps and go to this location to see how big this river is. This this river wire, which, of course, in the United States would say the wire river, and it's W-Y-R-E, not W-I-R-E, but the river wire. I haven't looked it up. I don't know what kind of flow it has. I don't know how wide it is. I don't know how deep it is. Uh, and it, but it does say that they checked it and didn't find anything, but I'm I'm really not sure what that means either. If this was a lake, then sending divers down right at that lo- right a location where you find uh, a phone, a dog, or something there it makes all the sense in the world. But in a river, if it has any kind of flow or whatever, by the time people realize that. She's not, she's missing. She's not answering her phone and everything else. If she went into the river, she's well downstream by this point. And it wouldn't have to be the Mississippi for her to get downstream very quickly. Like I said, I just don't know about the river um, at all. But being that they had to use scuba divers tells me that it's probably deep. Probably has a decent flow, although I doubt it's like uh, the 
or like the Amazon or the Mississippi, like you know, when we think start thinking about the big rivers of the world. So I'm not sure that the search they did uh, was very complete. Uh, they would they shouldn't be looking right at that spot. They should probably be looking miles down downstream. Now I will tell you if she ended up in the river, then I'm more inclined to believe that this was some sort of she was distraught, she was suicidal, something like that, and decided to go into the river and leave her phone. And I mean, really, what are the odds that she goes into the water without her phone? If she was pushed into the water, you'd think the phone would have gone into the water with her. And even if she got attacked, would the phone then not be in her purse or in her pocket? And then once again, would the phone not then go into the water with her? Instead, the phone is right there sitting on it on a bench as if it was placed there. Well, what kind of attacker is going to abduct somebody, man or woman, and then carefully place that phone right there on the bench? It does, doesn't seem very likely. So, um, and on top of everything else, the police there have said, well, we don't believe, uh, they don't believe that a crime has been committed and they continue to treat the incident as a missing person's inquiry only. Um, certainly we need to, would need to know more about Nicola or Nicola to be able to determine what are the odds of her going into this river by choice knowing what she was doing. Obviously, she was not delusional or anything because she was just on a call and she was acting like her normal self. She wasn't hallucinating. She wasn't having a manic episode. She wasn't having a bipolar episode or anything like that. It seems to me that if she went into the water, she probably knew what she was doing. And this is contrast maybe to some other disappearances that we've covered where maybe we're inclined to believe that a person went into the water by himself himself or herself, but we really start questioning, did this person really know what he or she was doing right at that second? Were they really suicidal or were they just not seeing reality for for what it was? And we've run into some of those there. For example, maybe one that comes to mind is um, one uh, just the name was right there for a second. I hate when this happens and I have to go back. Uh, it's the one disappearance that we covered out of Delaware. Last name Archer. Let me see it here. And I know somebody's going to come up with it before I can find it on my list. Oh, my goodness. I hate when this happens on the live show and I have uh, a brain lockup like this. Maybe somebody can help. Ben Archer. Thank you, Kathy. I, I knew it would be Ken, Kathy. Ben Archer, for example. He's out there in Delaware kind of doing some meditation and everything else. His mother goes out there to try to get him to come home, and you know he just wasn't having it. I'm inclined to believe that he went into the river. Maybe some people aren't, but I still question if he went into the river. Um, did he actually 100% know what he was doing? And the reason that came up is because 
you know, in the, the days and weeks before he went missing, he had been, I don't know, we might say a little delusional. You know, may, you know, he'd gotten, if, you know, not to necessarily put it this way, but he had gotten in a really, really religious all of a sudden and was talking about things that he had never talked to about before. And I have nothing against religion, but we know anything uh, can be taken to extremes and moderation with anything is the key. So that's an example. So going back to Nicola, and I'm just going to try to find this before, because I'm going up and down this list that I have. That I, There he is right there. We covered his disappearance after Patty Dudek, but before Jake Lachalet, which was another water, possible water disappearance. Yeah, Paula, that's an easy one to remember. Okay, thank you, Kathy. All right. Um, so was she in the right mind? It sounds like she was. It sounds like she was. So I think, you know, uh, 10 days into this disappearance, I think there are still a lot of different possibilities. We just don't know enough about Nicola to me, to come to a firm de- uh, determination on what was the highest highest risk in her life. What do I keep saying? Disappearances are about people. They are not about circumstances. The circumstances of this are that she went missing while she was next to a river. Well, to be able to put that in the proper context, we'd have to know about her. Now, we do know a little bit about her, that she went there all the time after she dropped her children off at school. But what else was going on in her life? Had she been talking about being depressed? Had she been having problems with an ex? Had she been probably having, having problems with a guy? Was she having health issues? All of those things then can put the circumstances in more perspective. And so that's why I keep saying disappearances are about people. They're not about circumstances. Circumstances only help us in trying to figure out how we might solve the disappearance. But most of the time when you hear that a person has gone missing, you find out about that person. What is going on in that person's life? Relationship problems, addiction issues, job issues, custody issues, all of these things. You you amass all of that. You don't even need to know about the date or the location or everything else. Pretty much you'll be able to determine why that person went missing. And so with Nicola, we just don't know enough about her. We know about the circumstances, but we don't know her personally. So always remember that when you're reading up on disappearances. Okay, so I wanted to talk about that and um, maybe you knew about that, maybe you didn't, but it, it is a good story. You can Google it. And like I said, if you're a member of the Facebook uh, discussion group, then you can go right to it. There is a link right there. <clears throat> okay. I want to read this article. I'm not going to read all of it because it's quite long, but the Boston Globe did a huge article on the, the status of the investigation of missing persons in the United States. Huge article. And so I'm going to start reading it. I'm going to probably skip through some places. And I'm, of course, going to comment on it. And I think that <coughs> in, it, in its <coughs> own way, I think it 
it doesn't offer many answers, but it does frame the issues fairly well. Raina Morales Rojas received a new cell phone for her birthday in October, but still she held on to the original. Both were always on. Both were always charged. In the case of a family emergency, the mother of two wanted to be easily reached. But on Thanksgiving weekend, both phones went dark. Her sister in El Salvador had a bad feeling. Her boyfriend and landlord in East Boston waited and waited, but the 41-year-old hadn't returned from a short trip to Somerville. Remember, this is in, we're talking in Massachusetts. Loved ones from East Boston to Central America bombarded Boston police with calls. Two months passed with no sign of Morales Rojas. It wasn't until January 12th that Boston police alerted the public and posted her photo in a press release. So she goes missing in October, our Thanksgiving weekend. They don't post anything until January 12th, so like a month and a half later. A local Latino organization had flooded social media with pictures of the missing Salvadoran immigrant. It took eight more days before Morales Rojas appeared in NamUs, the National Database of Missing People. That action wasn't prompted by police. A concerned citizen had entered her name into the system after stumbling upon the case during a Google search. By then, 53 days had passed since Morales Rojas' daughters had seen their mother. She remains missing. So as of this live show on February 6th, she goes missing Thanksgiving weekend. So over two months later, she is still missing. No one has a clue to her whereabouts, though police say they are pursuing leads. This is the way it often goes for people reporting missing missing in Massachusetts. It isn't that cases fall through cracks in the system, it's that there's no system at all. The pursuit of these cases hinges almost entirely on the discretion and commitment level of local departments. Where have you heard that before? Such such efforts vary wildly. The only federal database accessible to the public name is completely unreliable and includes fewer than 10% of the state's missing persons at any given time. And in fact, it only contains about 10% of all missing cases in the United States period, not just in that state. There's no standard protocol for handling these reports and coordination across state lines is spotty at best. Getting someone's name on the list, much less provoking law enforcement action, often boils down to a few simple things. The police department on the case, the aggressiveness of advocates, and the social standing of the missing person. We don't often know about a case unless there's someone savvy screaming from their lungs. Where's my kid? Where's my sister? Where's my person? said Heather Bish, whose 16-year-old sister Molly disappeared during the summer of 2000, prompting her to becoming leading advocate for reforms to the state's porous ad hoc missing person system. In recent weeks, the cases of Anna Walsh and Brittany T., we talked about Anna Walsh, both white women from affluent suburbs, have rocketed across social media, drawn intense press coverage, and taxed police resources. Almost immediately, Massachusetts State Police joined local law enforcement in the searches. Meanwhile, Morales Rojas, who went missing a month and a half earlier, garnered not a glance. It is as if if Morales Rojas were invisible, and the long delay in her case mitimizes the deep flaws in the state's missing persons process. For months, her family in El Salvador had pestered the police in East Boston. Her sister, Alicia, or Licia, said investigators were vague and dismissive. Where else have you heard that before? Call me back when you hear from Raina. Morales recalled one detective told her. 
she found the response baffling. She believes that if not for the persistent advocacy of Latinos Unidos in Massachusetts or Luma, the Boston Police Department might have never taken Morales Rojas' case seriously. The nonprofit Everett-based group alerted to her plight by a reporter at Telemundo, wrote two letters to the Boston Police Department. The first dated January 17th went unanswered. Went unanswered. So the group's executive director, Lucy Pineda, penned another. It is of grave concern to our community that the authorities have done little to move forward with the investigation of this case until now and without pressure from organizations such as ours. Next, she sent the message to news stations and Facebook groups. Then she arranged a, arranged a vigil outside the police station on Paris Street. The police eventually responded. They'd love to meet, they said. Luma requested free legal assistance from lawyers for civil rights. But when Pinedo arrived at the station on January 25th, alongside the pro bono lawyers, the officers threatened to cancel the meeting. The attorneys wrote in a statement to the Globe, Pineda had no choice but to head into the station without counsel. Marellen Burns, the police department's chief of communications, acknowledged that the agency could have made Mor- Morales Rojas' disappearance public earlier. In our focused efforts to identify her whereabouts, our investigative team regrettably did not share her information publicly until January 12th, she wrote in the statement to the Globe. But she added that the department continues to utilize all investigative means to locate Ms. Morales Rojas and every lead investigators uh, and every lead investigator has received thus far has been followed up on. Burns did not elaborate further on, invest- further on the investigative efforts of the police. Alicia Morales, who said she used to speak with her sister multiple times a day, told the Globe she wasn't interviewed at length by police until January 14th. And the Massachusetts State Police, who are regularly called into missing persons cases, as well as police in Somerville, her last known location, did not join the search until late January. With other cases, those who do not, those who do not, that do not involve immigrants from El Salvador, it is immediate. They have helicopters, they have drones, they have state troopers with Reina. They forgot that she is a human being. All right, so you get the general idea. Of this, and these are all things that have been mentioned on Unfound over and over again. Now, obviously, in this article, being that this uh, woman is of a minority, this is how this article was written. But the the fact is, we know people of all races and ethnicities, at one time or another, they get the same kind of treatment: the dismissiveness, the arrogance, the ignorance. The, what I call the hot potato syndrome. The one police department doesn't want it. They throw it to another. I don't want it. You take it. No, I don't want it. You take it. And the one that I think of is Elvo, Eric Alvarado, who lived in Texas, but his car was found in Arkansas. And those two states uh, played the hot potato. Well, his car was found in your state. That's where he was. No, no, no. He was from Texas. You handle it. Common. Common. Nobody wants to step up. That's what's going on here. In 2017, Governor Charlie Baker appointed a task force to review review the state's handling of missing persons cases. The group, a mix of law enforcement, forensic anthropologists, and volunteers like Bish, found that the 149 Massachusetts listings in the NamUs database at the time accounted for just 6% of the state's active missing persons cases. 
Nameless was created by the federal government in 2007 to serve as as a repository of all missing persons reports from across the country. But it hasn't exactly caught on. Only 13 states mandate police enter missing or unidentified persons into the system. Massachusetts isn't one of them. Despite that, the state's webpage on missing persons includes links to NamUs, calling it an active database that is updated daily, except I guess that Massachusetts doesn't care about updating their part of it. With hopes, uh, but that's not so, because participation... In NamUs is voluntary Massachusetts. A Globe review found that an average case in the state's NamUs log is nearly 18 years old. Meanwhile, the average case in NCIC is just over one year old. Contemporary cases, including highly publicized ones such as the Cohassets and Walsh, are largely absent from NamUs. Just one person listed in that database has disappeared within the last month. This disparity not only makes NamUs an unreliable tool, but more of a historical document than a useful public service. I agree. Totally agree. That's a great way to put it. All right. So you get, um, we got other things to talk about, but this is something that caught my eye. Once again, you can go to the Boston Globe site. You can read this article for free as long as you turn your ad blocker (coughs) off. And I've probably only read uh, one half of the article. So, but it has that similar tone through uh throughout so what's everybody saying uh before i move on uh art art vandalay i'm thinking there would be some disturbed grass or dirt markings if she fell in the river so we're going back to the uh missing persons case in england maybe art you may be right about that could be um just depends maybe she jumped but uh, and then coffee says, Laverta Sorrell comes to mind with hot potato cases. That one too. Yep. And we, we've had a few like that. Maybe not necessarily between states, but be- between like local law enforcement and the state police. Or maybe between different cities in the same state. Uh, we've had a little mixture of everything <clears throat> regarding that. All right. So what are my comments on all this? First of all, if you've listened to Unfound for any length of time, none of that um, should be surprising. Nothing that I read there should be surprising at all. And it's one of the reasons that I'm so motivated in education on missing persons. And that's where I want to go next. The reason this is like this is because it's the blind leading the blind, leading the blind, leading the blind, leading the blind. blind. They don't just don't know what to do. It'd be no different. Uh, I, I've I've used this comparison elsewhere, but it'd be no different than somebody asking me about building a bridge. I've driven over bridges many times in my life. I've seen many bridges. I've even watched uh, YouTube videos on the building of the bridges. For example, on the Golden Gate Bridge. But I don't know anything about building bridges. I'm not an engineer or anything like that. This is kind of what this is. These police officers, they know about missing persons. 
You don't even need to, of course, need to be a police officer to know about missing persons. They know that people go missing. They know that missing people, some missing people are found. They know that some missing people can go missing for a long, long time and never be seen again. But that doesn't mean they know anything about missing persons cases and, and what to do. They're really good at taking reports. They're really good at writing stuff down. But when it comes to analysis and everything, they don't know they don't know what to do because they're not taught it. I keep saying this over and over and over. The public wants the police to do something. But these police officers, these investigators, what do they get taught in? Don't violate people's rights. Maybe they uh, get uh, some counts or they get some academy work or, or if they are criminal justice majors, maybe they get lessons on conflict resolution. If they're showing up at the domestic or of course they get classes on how to use their gun and all these other things, you know, protect evidence and don't dirty crime scenes and everything else. They don't get any education on missing persons cases. So this is one of those things where it can't be fixed because nobody knows anything about it. And Massachusetts and all of these other states, they can throw all the people all they all, even if they were to say, well, we're going to budget more money for this, unless that money actually involves education, it's just a waste. Don't do it. Save the taxpayers' money. Don't do it if it's not going to be involved sitting these people down, getting them a comprehensive course on the questions that they should be asking when they show up on a missing persons case so they can quickly determine what kind of disappearance it is. And determine, is this person really, really gone? Or is this person just going to be gone for a couple days? Start asking questions. Is there any person that would have wanted this missing person deceased? Was this person having any relationship problems on all these things? They don't do this stuff. Of course, the, the best example that I continue to have, and it's not even an unfound disappearance, is Jennifer Kessie. Professional young woman in real estate or in land management or something like that, whatever that was. And please show up and say, ah, she's probably, you know, she missed work. So she'd go off with some guy that encapsulates, at least in the United States, the police attitude toward missing persons. That comment right there covers all of it. And it's disgusting. So until Massachusetts, um, in any other state, my state included Florida, my previous state, Nevada, where I grew up in Pennsylvania, until they are actually serious about giving that education to these people who are going to be dealing with families and getting those first calls and going to homes or to businesses, wherever they're going to fill out these reports, this is going to continue to happen. Because there's another part of this, and it's, it's human nature. We don't like to deal with things that we don't know anything about. We shy away from things where we don't have confidence. We love to do the things that we know how to do. Okay? We love doing those things. Of course, there are things in our lives that we are forced to do even though we don't do them any well, but we know if we don't do them, we're going to get in trouble. Well, there's just not enough of a penalty right now for police who blow off missing persons cases. On top of that, they're not motivated to investigate them because 
they don't know anything about them. So they feel insecure. They lack confidence. This is why we get all these crazy statements. What do I say in my presentation? Police say the stupidest things when it comes to missing persons cases when they show up. Oh, we'll probably be back in a couple days. Don't say that. You don't know that. You are not a counselor. You are an investigator. No theorizing, please. <clears throat> Nobody is equipped to do it. From the highest uh, law enforcement officer in the United States would be the Attorney General of the United States. A whole way down to uh, a township cop where there's only a police officer, police force of one. Everybody and anybody between those two levels of law enforcement in the United States don't know anything about missing persons cases. This is why so many of them get solved by luck, by somebody just happening across somebody in the woods. This is why some, a lot of them get solved when the person who committed the, the disappearance and it was a murder murders again or does something like that. For example, with Zoe Campos where Carlos Rodriguez got in trouble again, and that actually helped police out. This is how disappearances get solved in the United States now, right now. And as I've stated for a long time, if we're going to rely on luck and stuff like that to solve these cases, then good luck with all of that. But as I, uh, as I wrote here in my notes, everybody is concerned, but nobody is doing anything about it. And I realize that we have the sister of Molly Bish in there, and she's an advocate. Uh, I feel horrible for her and her family, what's, ha what's happened. <clears throat> but you, you know what I've said about advocates. You know what I've said about them. They're great at drawing attention and, and getting things sensationalized and getting in the media. But advocates, just as, as they are just as likely to, as anybody else, to get caught up in that sensationalism, in the rumors, in the sensationalism, you know, and everything else. They're just as liable to do that, once again, because they're not necessarily educated on disappearances. They know names. They know names of missing people. But that's about it. They care about it. I'm not questioning that they don't care. They do. But none of them are equipped to sit down with uh, a classroom full of police officers and investigators and to teach them what it takes to actually investigate a missing person's disappearance correctly at the time that it happens. They're not equipped to do that. So what's everybody uh, saying? Uh, Magic, when are you taking questions about the case from Friday's episode? Uh, I'll take any questions that you want to type here, uh, Ferry, before we're done. we got 43 minutes, so I'd hurry up. Uh, Melissa says, hi, Unfound. You don't have to uh, apologize, Melissa. I'm the only one that's not allowed to be late. Uh, thank you, Melissa, for the comment. Veronica, hello, and everyone. I'm late. I hope I didn't miss much. Well, you'll just, you did miss much, Veronica, but that doesn't mean you can't go back and listen to it. Melissa says, I can tell you they aren't educated in New York, so tack that on your list. They are award-winning list keepers, though. They keep organized lists of missing people, even publish them on their website. Yeah, they're great at making lists. They're great at making lists. Yeah. 
They, you, you wanna, you wanna ask them about. They can get out the list, but don't ask them to do anything about it. And what do I keep saying? The key to missing persons cases is knowing it when you see it. No different than when an engineer is asked, you know what, this community is, this uh, city is thinking about building a new bridge across this river. Engineer, can you come out here and tell us if this is a good idea? A bunch of engineers will go out there. They'll take a look at the river. They'll take a look at the bank. They'll take a look at the ground. Maybe they'll do some ground samples. They'll do this. They'll do that. And they're educated to do that. And probably quite quickly, they could say, you know what? This is a good idea or this is not a good idea and tell you why. Police can't do that with missing persons cases. We need to get to the point where doctors are when diagnosing you when you go in and say, well, I have this cough and I have this going on and I have that going on. And a doctor right away knows, might not have the tools right there. Maybe you need an MRI. Maybe you need an x-ray. Maybe you need this. Maybe you need your blood taken or anything. But they know exactly what needs to be done. Boom, 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 boom. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Mistakes are always going to happen. We're all human here. But they have a pretty good idea. Okay, you got this. Like for my doctor, I go to see him and, you know, he knows I have allergies. And so when I was there the last time talking about, you know, I keep getting these headaches right here in the center of my forehead. What's he said is probably sinuses could be brought on by your allergy. He was right. This is where police need to get with missing persons cases. Here's the person. Here's who this person was. These are the problems this person is having. And then you get to the circumstances right away. The police should know what needs to be done. That doesn't mean the disappearance is going to get solved today. And we know how tough some of these are. <coughs> but they're at, but they're actually acting from an educated point of view, not one from, all right, well, we're going to take this report and then they treat every disappearance as if it were the same, which we know disappearances are not. Fairy magic. Did the mom ever say why Brandon and Becca broke up? Um, oh, going back to Brandon Roberts. I, I think uh, Beck's just got, it just got a little old for her. I, I think with Brandon, I really did not want to get into that too much, but I think that's what it was for us. It's a good question. You know, she went back, I think it was a situation, Ferry, when she went and saved him the first time, and then I think eventually he just went back to what he was doing. I mean, how much is a, a woman supposed to put up with? And so then she ended up, I think, going back with the, f she's now back with the father of her children. So, um, yeah, I probably did not come up the interview, did not, uh, guess we didn't cover that. Maybe I just thought that was kind of inferred. Um, but it was just Brandon was there and then he wasn't there on, on that particular day. So, um, that is this article from the Boston Globe. Uh, you know, I could probably talk two, uh, hours on this or at least an hour and 15 minutes because that's how long the presentation that I've done to, um, criminal justice majors at these schools so far. Now, the other problem regarding all of this, and I also know this kind of from a little bit of firsthand experience, although not recently, is that police are very defensive about this. It's not just that they don't know what they're doing and everything, is that you try to tell them things, 
They don't want to hear it. So there is something going on there as well. And that doesn't help. That doesn't help. I kind of ran into this with the uh, Jennifer Perry disappearance that we covered a year ago. Remember, she disappeared from down in the Keys. I had her sister on as a guest. This happened back in 1993. She seemingly walked off on an island, never to be seen again, although it's not technically an island, but it's down in their Keys, which are all islands connected by bridges. But she disappeared down uh, in what they call Marathon, Florida. It's Monroe County. And I ended up tracking down uh, an investigator who was responsible for her disappearance in the early 2000s. He talked to me once. I think I insulted him. Because after that, he would not return any of my phone calls, would not return any of my emails or anything else. Even though I sent him that long, long FOIA that I got just to prove to him that I had had it. I sent it to him, never heard from him again. Because I was asking him a lot of questions that he had no answer to. Even though he was responsible. He wasn't the original investigator, so I understand it's a little tough. He wasn't the person on the scene in 1993. But eventually, he's, his name was on a lot of those names. His name was on that report. You can find it if you go back and look at that FOIA. He just didn't like some of the questions. I'm not saying he covered up anything or anything like that, but I think I made him feel stupid. I wasn't trying to do that, but these are questions that I have to ask. And so he never spoke to me again even though he said he would. So the story out of Massachusetts, this story could be written about any state in the United States. And I I, I promise all of you, I'm going to do what I can to make all of this better. But uh, I'll, I'll do what I can as one human being with the knowledge that I have in my head. I just wish more people were educated, minded like I was. Um, Melissa said, Jennifer Perry's disappearance is ridiculous. Uh, if you want to use that word, you can, Melissa. That's not, uh, you know, maybe the word, you know, that I would use. Um, it is perplexing. How does a 12, 13-year-old girl disappear from a place that was essentially an island? And when we say an island, we don't mean Hawaii or Oahu, like a big island or something. I mean, that that place where she was living with her with her mother and her brother, it's like one square mile or something. And she went missing on it. And it, it's 30 years later. So... Um, that's one that's all, of course, all of them stick with me, but that is one of the more perplexing ones for sure. You know, I don't do favorites and least favorites and top tens or anything, but I do classify disappearances by the ones that are most perplexing, hardest to understand. That's certainly one of them. Not number one, but that's certainly up there. Certainly top 20. So that's that article. Once again, if you want to find it, go to the Boston Globe site. And uh, read it all for yourself. Uh, the part that I read, it's like only half of it. Half of it. 
So let's get back to um, some other things. Uh, maybe to uh, got a little uh, heavy in that part. Uh, maybe a little depressing and everything. But sometimes those that's the news you have to cover. Uh, I want to talk about this balloon now. I realize it's going in a totally, totally opposite direction. But, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, how does this happen? What exactly was going on? You know, I don't do politics or anything like that. And I'm going to stay away from that. But I thought that I realized that a lot of times when I come to this microphone that I bring a little uh, levity, uh, a little, uh, you know, maybe more rationality than you're going to get out there in the media regarding things like with the Idaho murders, as horrible as they were. But you heard me go on and on about how I thought it was all sensationalized and everything. And I thought the coverage of it was outrageously horrible. So for the balloon, I just like, you, you know, it's kind of I feel like the same thing. I realize a lot of people are worried about this. I have this balloon from China. Nobody China owns up to it. Uh, it's flying up there at like 60,000 feet, which, you know, just to show you, I mean, the average uh, airliner flies at like 37,000 feet. So when the plane is up at that height, it's actually closer to the balloon than it would have been to the ground. That's So it's the balloon is, I guess, in space terms, fairly close to the ground, fairly close, 60,000 feet. And you have to remember that, um, the United States has had spy planes like the U-2 and the Blackbird that could fly a lot higher than that, a lot, lot, lot higher. And in fact, as you know, the balloon got shot down by an F-22 up at 60,000 feet. So those jets, of course, can operate up at those altitudes. But spy planes, you know, way, way uh, above that. But everybody was concerned about... Um, why didn't they shoot it down as soon as they found out about it? And I think you have to think about this very much how you might think about a crime scene. Is when you have something like this, you want to make sure that you can preserve the evidence. All right, and there's no doubt that our government in the United States wanted to see what was actually hanging from this balloon. Well, the worst way to do that is to shoot it down over land, have that thing come down from 60,000 feet, go splat on the ground, and then everybody's going to be out there for weeks trying to pick up all the parts. It would be no different than like when um, Pan Am 109 exploded over Lockerbie, Scotland. It exploded at like, it wasn't up to 35,000 feet, but it was 20-some thousand feet. It was... Uh, uh, you know, just reaching its altitude when it blew up. And there was stuff all over the place. And so with this dropping down, who knows where it would hit? And it would go, you know, it would explode everywhere. We don't know. I mean, the odds of it killing somebody, obviously very, very low. But you have no control over where it's going to hit. Once you blow up that balloon, it's, you know, it's going to go straight down and think about the logistics of doing something like that and having to tape everything off. What if it ends, does end up in somebody's backyard or on somebody's farm? It's up there in Montana. You start thinking about how difficult that is going to get, not to mention all the gawkers 
People wanted to sneak onto the land to steal something and sell it on eBay. On and on and on. That's, to me, that's why they waited until it was out over water again between before shipping it, before shooting it down. We have to remember there are Chinese satellites flying over the United States all the time, and dare I say it, there are probably several right above me right now. They're keeping an eye on us. We're keeping an eye on them. There's Russian satellites keeping an eye on us in China. And any country that can put a satellite into space has one spy satellite out there looking at somebody else. That is the 21st century. And it's, of course, it's been going on since the 20th century. It's just the way the world is. Now, why they decided for a balloon instead of a you know satellite flying, I don't know. But my opinion is that the reason they waited to shoot it down off the coast of North Carolina is because they could control it. You can get all the planes and jets to stay out of the way. The U.S. Navy can keep out boats. It's out in international waters. Nobody lives out there. You know, you can keep uh, private planes from going out there with the risk of shooting them down or something. You have much more control of that area out there off the coast of North Carolina than you would ever have in Montana or in any of those other states that it flew over. Plus, when it comes down, it hits the water. Yes, there's going to be some damage, but surely not as much damage as it would be if it hit solid land. And once again, it's going to sink, but you have control of that area. You don't have to worry about keeping gawkers out, people walking on or you know the property, somebody living down the street, because there's nobody out there. In my opinion, that's why that happened. It's I realize the politics of this. How dare they? Let, how dare this administration let a, a Chinese balloon fly the whole way across the United States? Here's what I think I know: they didn't learn anything more than they didn't already know. Whatever they were doing. So that's the way I look at all of this. Uh, I realize that whatever media you take in. It's probably been the exact opposite. A lot of fear, a lot of hatred, a lot of finger pointing and everything else. It should have never been allowed and, and on and on and on and on and on. I just, you know, I, I just don't look at things that way. Now, if you're going to tell me, well, should they have not seen it, you know, well before it, it made it into Montana? I suppose you could make that argument. But this thing is, it's still the same. You know, to do that, they would have had to have gotten it early. Would it have been nicer had they shot it down over the Pacific Ocean before it got to the United States? Yes. But that's not what happened. And I, I really do not think that our national security or anything has been compromised at all. This is just a lot of people, once again, this story, just like the Idaho murders or anything else, uh, they get more attention when people are outraged. Get more views, more clicks, more shares, and everything else. People, you know, we too often uh, act out of fear instead of out of rationality and logic. So that's the story. It, you know, it's just better, and we'll get a hold of it, and we'll see what it is. And we'll see what kind of sensors and everything it had on it. And I heard there might have been another one flying over South America. I don't know. But I do know that it was much better choice to shoot it 
down over the water for collection and study purposes than to shoot it down over land where, you know, you'd have all these crazy social media people, TikTokers, Instagram, everybody else trying to make a name for themselves. You don't need that. You don't need that. So that's my attitude. Art Van Lake, Chinese ambassador claims it was a gender reveal balloon that got away. Uh-huh. You know what color it was when it finally got popped? Uh, let me guess. Red? Uh, Veronica, I don't believe that. Art Van Lake, I'm on the fence. Could be, but probably not. Yeah, this is, yeah. The Chinese ambassador, if, the, if that is actually what was said, has a pretty funny sense of humor. And in fact, uh, I wrote that same joke on my Facebook page a couple days ago. But you really have to think, you know, think these things out because the media is not going to do it for you. They're not going to do it for it. They're going to be happy to feed into all of your fears and biases and everything else. All right. So getting back to, um, I already said unfound now, uh, is out. It came out today. Uh, it's been out for a week. Uh, members, um, I've been able to watch it for the last week or listen to it, but it's now available to everybody. I made it available this morning. It's the disappearance of Christopher Miller from Janesville, Wisconsin. Uh, and it, this goes back to November. So it's already over two months old. He had a run in with the police. They were chasing him. He jumped out of his car. He ran off. You can see the video of it. You can find it on YouTube and elsewhere. And he is still missing all this time later. Um, Christopher Miller was black. There's been a lot of finger pointing at the police. Did they do something to him? And there are they covering up. They've had vigils. They've had protests in Wisconsin regarding all of this. Um, I will tell you, uh, although I do, you know, I do analysis in these unfound nows. I don't do a lot of it. Um, I try to sensibly look at all of that and i think christopher miller was just a guy who was trying to get away from the police he was doing something he shouldn't have been doing maybe he's drinking and driving he had already hit a telephone pole or a traffic sign or something and they were following him and his car finally gave out because i think that the front tires were damaged in one of the wrecks that he was in and he ran off this is like Brendan Smokey. This is like the, the recent disappearance that we covered of Matthew Braswell. And uh, these things happen. People, we we're going to have to realize it sometime. People don't like to get caught doing anything. They don't like to get caught drinking and driving. They don't like to get caught uh, robbing stores. They don't like to get caught raping women. They don't like to get, nobody likes to get caught. They don't, people don't like to get caught uh, cheating on their taxes. That's why people run. And some people run better than others. And some people are better at hiding than others. And we have to look at the totality of the circumstances. So that was the one I decided to cover. Christopher Miller disappeared in November of last year. He's still missing. And it has got, gotten a lot of attention uh, in the Wisconsin area. Uh, Veronica said, yeah, listen, this morning I'm in Wisconsin and Janesville has a lots of rural towns and land. Yeah. And as I pointed out when I did the, the map analysis for that, Veronica is that 
granted, I, I agree with anybody who wants to say it. There aren't a lot of places to hide where his car was ditched. I agree. At least from what I can tell from using Google Street View and Google Satellite View. Uh, but he could have run quite a ways. I think we have to remember that he wasn't just running. He would have been interested in hiding because they were looking for him. So he would try to find a place in which he could hide for a while. But we have to look at the weather and, and all those other things of what is the, the probability that he would be able to survive the night like this. And was he injured from what, you know, a lot of variables in this disappearance. But here's what I do know. I, I don't believe that his family uh, is faking any of this. I think they are concerned. I think they don't know where he is. Um, but um, I, I really, given what I know, I don't know much of what else the police could have done that night. He goes running off into a field, and here's what I know. The police are not going to go chasing somebody into a dark field. They might do that in, in, in town where there are street lights and everything so they can see the person and tell if the person has a gun or whatever. But they're not going to go running off some person in, into a dark cornfield. That's a good way to get shot. I'm not, I don't know if Christopher Miller had a gun or not. I don't know. But the police don't know either. So they're not going to do that. And in fact, the police running into the field, they have their flashlights they're the ones that are going to be easier to be shot than the person who's running who doesn't have any uh, a light on him or anything. So I can see why they didn't, you know, what are you going to do? Okay, we got a runner. Great. Ran off into this field and let's just circle around and, and see what can be done. Right now, I, all they can do is keep searching that area. What I would be looking at is any particular area where you don't think a person can fit, but maybe Christopher Miller thought he could fit in there and might have died there. And Lola says, I love your long hair. Uh, well, thanks, Lola. I appreciate it. I'm not getting it cut anytime soon unless I have to do something again with the ends if they're getting a little frayed. So that's the unfound now. And um, of course, the comment section is open. So if you'd like to make some comments, I think we already have a couple there. If you'd like to make some comments on it, your opinions, your insights, maybe like Veronica, um, you're in Wisconsin. If you'd like to, um, you know, ha have an opinion, maybe you live in that area and you know that area. If you'd like to make a, write a comment for that video, please do so. Please like it and share it and everything else as well. Uh, moving on, some other unfound uh, business. Uh, no talk, Dr. Telesco show for uh, February. Although she and I, just, when we had the show, what was a week and a half ago, talked about doing a show this month. Uh, that has been canceled due to um, midterms being at the same time that we're supposed to do in the next show. I did offer you should know to kind of switch it up and have Dr. Telesco come on to do a live show with, with me and, you know, my assistant Sheree and whoever could run everything. And of course the kids could go continue with their studies, but uh, that idea was nixed. So on the next time she and I will be getting, getting together will be in March. Uh, one more unfound news before I get back to um, at least one more piece of national news. And I have a question to answer. Maybe I'll do that next after this. 
is that you should know that Adventures with Purpose, it sounds like, is going to get involved in another unfound disappearance. I don't think I'm at liberty to say which one. But um, you'll know maybe a couple months ago, they went up to New York to look for Audrey Heron. Unfortunately, they were unsuccessful. But they are getting involved in another uh, disappearance that we've covered. However, uh, I don't think that they've done any searching or anything yet, but I've just found out about that within the next couple of days. When I think I'm allowed to say more about it, I will let you know. Let's go down. Uh, Jill, I don't know if she's still here, but uh, Jill had asked me, sent me a question. Uh, Jill, what do you uh, asked me? What do you believe sensationalizes true crime in the United States? versus other places like Australia or the UK. Uh, First of all, Jill, you have to understand that I believe sensationalism is a factor of humanity, not a factor of country or culture or ethnicity or anything else. Um, You know, most of the time, although we, we would probably debate this, we are often driven by our emotions. Um, you know, but it, it, sometimes it does come down to a question of, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, as I just was talking about a few minutes ago regarding, um, this balloon (coughs) story, and then going back to the Idaho, um, massacre at the university of Idaho and anything else that has come up in a live show before this, that got a lot of national attention that sometimes it's hard is the news sensationalized because the media is sensationalizing it? Or is it because uh, are, are they doing that on purpose? Or are they doing it because that's what the people want? You know, are they catering to the audience? Which has come first? The audience wanting sensationalized news? Or is has the media from the start sensationalized it? I have to admit, even though I consider myself, I am in media. I have this microphone. I have a podcast. It is a broadcast medium. It is news, um, you know, spreading information, generating opinion, and all of this. I'm a reporter, among many other things. Uh, so I am in the media. And even for myself, it's hard to tell. But I do know that it is a, not a factor of a country or every anything else, even in countries where, you know, for example, in the United States, we have what we call, uh, you know, free media, all these media companies, they're not, you know, we have, of course, freedom of speech in the United States. That is something that is rare. Most countries do not have that in their constitutions and everything else. It's one of the big differences between like the United States and Canada. United States, uh, Canada does not have a freedom of speech necessarily in its constitution like the United States does. It's unique. So our media, that's why you can get away with a lot more saying things in the United States than you can get away with saying in other places. Even countries that share a lot of the same heritage and culture that we do whether it's England, whether it's France, whether it's Australia, whether it's Canada, a lot of these countries that, you know, we might call Western culture. In that respect, uh, the uh, United States media is a little more freewheeling, although England certainly has it, it has the sun and other things. But 
even in countries where media is much more controlled, being that we were talking about the balloon, like with China, you know what? They sensationalize things there too. <laughs> you know, they build things up that aren't true as well. They overstate things uh, just as well as any other country with a, a media that is not necessarily controlled by the government. So it's not a factor of freedom of speech or anything else. It's a factor of human nature. It's giving in to um, our egos and our pride. And, uh, and then on top of that, the need for attention, the, the need for love, the need for shares and likes and clicks and eyeballs and ears and everything else. And that's, uh, you know, social media and the internet is only the latest version of that. Uh, this is something that has been in humanity, um, no matter how you believe humanity got started, whether it's divine intervention or uh, evolution or, or you were put here by aliens from outer space or whatever else, it's within us. It's part of who we are. It's not a good part of us. We need to control that. We need to, you know, kind of have a handle on that. But I do not think that, you know, we have to realize that sensationalism goes on in everything. There's sensationalism in, um, in sports, you know, making big deal things, you know, big deals out of things that really aren't a big deal just because some radio host needs something to talk about for the next five hours overstating something you know there's there's this thing called hot takes now it's a 21st century thing you know saying something that's a little racy a little outside the norm the only reason people do that is to get reaction they do not necessarily say it because they believe it they say it because they know that that's going to get a reaction it'd be no like saying we well, you know tom brady he's really not the greatest quarterback of all time he wouldn't even be in the top 10 you say that as a sports radio host, every line on your telephone in your telephone system is going to light up within seconds. Whereas if you say sport, Tom Brady, he's won six Super Bowls or however many, he's played into his 40, he is the greatest of all time, the phones won't light up. So what does that teach a radio host? What does it teach? I got I to gotta say th things that are outrageous. This goes for video games and covering of movies, like people who would say, oh, The Godfather is like the worst movie of all time, even though other people think it's one of the greatest movies of all time. We don't get any attention by saying that The Godfather is the greatest movie of all time. You do get a lot of attention if you say it's one of the worst movies of all time. It's human nature. <laughs> this has been going on forever. So that's how I would answer that question, Jill. I think it's the same thing anywhere. I don't think it depends really on the media because I think there are examples of all different kinds of media throughout the United States between countries that really control what the people can know and others that don't control it as much. Sensationalism happens everywhere on everything. <coughs> Ferry says the need to belong is one of our greatest needs. That's one of them, certainly. Okay. I got 11 minutes left. I do want to talk about this very, very uh, sad story that has originated here in Florida. And it has to do with this Lyft driver. And, and this has probably caught my eyes because um, 
we're going to be talking in depth about Uber and Lyft, not this Friday, but for the disappearance next Friday, February 17th. Um, but this uh, older gentleman, um, the car owned by... The car owned by a missing 74-year-old Florida Lyft driver was found in North Carolina, and the man who was driving it is wanted in connection with a homicide last week in southwest Florida. So that's down in um, it's down like Naples, authorities said. So that's just like south of me by a few hours. Lyft driver Gary Levin hadn't be, hasn't been heard from since Monday when his family says he picked up a customer in Delray Beach, Florida. His red 2022 Kia Stinger was spotted in Miami that day, so this is a week ago. And then in a rural area north of Lake Okeechobee and later in North Florida. The vehicle was last seen Thursday evening in North Carolina after the U.S. Marshals Regional Task Force asked authorities to be on the lookout. Matthew Flores was arrested following a police chase through three counties. Rutherford uh, County Sheriff said, told the Associated Press. Uh, Ellenberg said North Carolina State Troopers used stop sticks to halt the vehicle in Ellenboro. The sheriff said Flores fled briefly on foot before he's apprehended. And like I said, nobody likes to get caught and taken to a hospital uh, for an evaluation. He was later booked into the county jail and the vehicle was taken to a secure location. Flores 35 was being held on no bond for a parole violation and a $650,000 bond for charges in North Carolina that include eluding law enforcement, speeding and intoxicated driving. He appeared at a brief hearing in North Carolina where a judge set bail $2 million and scheduled another hearing for February 22nd. Flores would eventually be extradited to a Florida where he is a suspect in the slang. So get this. So uh, this is the, the reason I'm pointing this out. And you should know that it is believed that Gary Levin's remains were found within the last couple of days. It's kind of found in the last place where his phone pinged. So... They're believing that it's him. And this Flores guy certainly killed him. Well, here's the kicker, and this is in the article. Flores is already a suspect in a slang on January 24th, nearly a week before Levin went missing on Monday. So you had already killed on January January. Um, 24th and i guess he was kind of on the run i don't know if i I guess that he had not not been caught and maybe that's the reason he got into this lift uh with this guy killing him taking the car and then getting out of florida authorities are investigating how flores obtained the missing lift driver's car i think we know that levin's family said they did not know whether Flores was the passenger Levin picked up in Delray Beach on Monday. John Easton, the police chief in Wachula, Florida, told the AP in a phone interview that officers are heading to North Carolina in hopes of interviewing Flores about the January 24 killing and the missing Lyft driver. So it seems like this guy has killed two people in a matter of a few days. Very, very sad. <clears throat> it wasn't immediately clear. Um there's a lawyer who was, was speaking on uh, Flores' behalf, um, but there's a, a, a seems like a woman who helped Flores get out of the area, so she's in custody. In an email statement Friday, Lyft said our thoughts are with Mr. Levin's family or Levin's family and loved ones deeply, our loved ones during this deeply concerning time. We've been in touch with his family to offer our support as well as with, 
as well as with law enforcement to assist with their investigation. But Levin's daughter, Lindsay DeBetta, DeBetta, yeah, told the AP the family has learned that Levin took an unknown customer to Okeechobee, a small city on the edge of Lake Okeechobee, and completed the ride sometime after 4 p.m. on Monday. She said the family's told by a lift that the ride was completed sometime after 4 p.m. And so um, this is a very, very um, sad story here. So it seems like this florist guy killed at least two people within a few days. And, and it, there's not much of a question that the reason he killed this guy is to get this ride that then he could take to North Carolina to get, to get out of the jurisdiction, of course, get away due to the prior murder that he committed. So, you know, um, like I said, uh, not this Friday, next Friday, February 17th, this is going to be an issue, but it's the opposite that a Uber driver drove a guy to a particular address right in the middle of LA. And then the guy disappears. We've already kind of covered this disappearance. Uber came up in the disappearance of sky Tossick. Remember that coincidentally also a California disappearance where a driver let him off and he seemingly walked away, had like some camping equipment or something and said he was going to be going with some of his friends and nobody knows who these friends were, although he did name them just the first names. So we've talked about ride services like this before, but not this Friday, but next Friday we're going to be talking about it. So I'm guessing this why this is why this uh, particular story caught my eye, especially maybe also because it started here in Florida. Just just got, just got to remember, I give a shout out to all the Uber and Lyft people out there. Dangerous gig. Um, some of you may remember uh, my friend Shay, who was down here to see me back in 2019. Still talking to her. I'm hoping she's going to come visit me uh, again within the next couple of months. But she was a Lyft driver for a while in L.A., and I, I just cannot tell you how much I worried about her. You know, she, you know, she's, you know, she's just, I mean, she's feisty, don't get me wrong, but she's only like 5'1". But, you know, I worried about her. Uh, you never know who's going to be getting into your vehicle next. And I realized that, um, you know, some people, you know, that's... Uh, you know, it's made them some good money and it's like maybe a side gig. Maybe a, a parent needs a second job to pay for a, kid, a child's schooling or something like that. And I give all this respect to these people in the world, but dang it, that is a dangerous gig. Taxi drivers too, but it just seems to me that Uber and Lyft would be a little more dangerous because somebody might be thinking about stealing the car. You can't steal a taxi because it has all the, you know, the phone numbers and everything else on it. <laughs> whereas a Lyft car or Uber car just looks like a regular car. So it might be easier to get away with it. So, and also these cars probably aren't as abused as your average taxi is. So there's that too. So I give a shout out to all those people who do this. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine doing that and not knowing, you know, here you are sitting in the front seat and the person sitting behind you creeps me out. So there is that story. Serenity says, thank you for your podcast, Serenity. Uh, thank you for listening. All right. It's time to wrap this stuff up, wrap this show up. And we've got three minutes uh, till the end uh, of 11 o'clock. 
I was going to talk about this uh, Fucci case. Unfortunately, somebody asked me to, to – I just not didn't – unfortunately, I didn't get time to cover it. It was kind of late, late anyway. But this guy who um, stabbed this 13-year-old, uh, you know, a hundred some times, and it seems like his mother helped him cover it up. Uh, parents are uh, – hey, I, you know, I start going through Unfound's disappearances – <laughs> I can think of quite a few probably dis- I could probably find a few disappearances where parents are covering up for their killer children, killer adult children. That's not even a question. So this Friday, um, we're going way back to the year 1966. And what's going to be weird is we're eventually, even though this disappearance kind of starts in Illinois, uh, the really it goes cold in California. So we're going to be in LA two weeks in a row. So we're going to be in LA for this disappearance this Friday. And the next Friday, we're going to be in LA again, but much more recently. So this Friday, Emily Richards, uh, her maiden name though was Jordan. She went missing. If you can believe it, she went missing the first time in 1964 but then she went missing again from Illinois. But then she went missing again in 1966 from California. I haven't yet come up with a title for this episode. But this uh, disappearance is on the Charlie Project. I haven't checked to see if it's on NamUs though. But you can start looking that up. Her cousin, who wasn't even born at the time... Uh, her name is Amy. So we have we have Amy Braswell from a couple weeks ago. We have Amy Spanfelner this Friday. And then we have another woman named Amy next Friday. Is that so weird? It's so crazy. But her cousin, Emily's cousin Amy, is the guest. And that will be this Friday's disappearance. Emily Richards, once again, maiden name Jordan. She went missing from Illinois originally, and then all of a sudden, as Amy found out through paperwork, two years later, there's proof that Emily was in California. And then then she drops off the map again. So you can start looking into that. Maybe go to Charlie Project or wherever else. Of course, I'll be posting some things before Friday on the website, Facebook, <clears throat> Twitter, etc. Also doing the TikTok video that I now do. And that will be this Friday. Uh, Sam's got great coverage. Thanks for the hard work. You're v- very welcome, Sam Girl 31. So that's all I have for tonight. Covered a lot of stuff. Um, and something I didn't uh, include in here, uh, personal stuff. I'm starting to take singing lessons uh, from a course that I got online. It was one of my things to do uh, for... 2023 to like really become a really I can carry a tune but my range is not that great but I told myself in 2023 this is one of the things I want to do I want to be able to really sing some of these heavy metal songs instead of just faking it so I'm taking an online singing course that I'm working at every day but that's it uh thank you for watching uh this will be a podcast of course coming out tomorrow if you miss parts of it and you will hear me and see me on Friday because we did that interview over Zoom. That's all I got. Deborah, good night. Stay safe. Thank you, Deborah. And don't forget to give this thumbs up. And thank you all for giving myself 
uh, for giving me this unfound live show a piece of your Monday night. Good night. See you, Charlie.